the Bible Study Podcast, episode 609. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of the 15th chapter of Mark. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. I apologize for last week when I left you in the middle of the crucifixion, but I didn't want that episode to be terribly long, and we'll finish it up this week. And we're going to read back over again this paragraph that we're in, the crucifixion of Jesus, starting in verse 21 of Mark 15. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. And so we have Jesus at Golgotha. Now, if you have been to Jerusalem, you will know that there is a church now on the site of where Golgotha was, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre holds both Golgotha and the place where Jesus' body was laid because they were close by each other. Now, it's hard to picture them as this stone set out in the countryside as it was outside the city walls. The whole Christian quarter of Jerusalem was outside the old city walls. And so they led Jesus out to this place in the country not far from the city, uh, to crucify him. And this was on a road coming into town so that people would see these people being crucified, ask the question of what it was that they did to offend Rome so that Rome would get out the message that you don't do these things. Now, this should have been Barabbas, who was an insurrectionist. Instead, it is Jesus who is being crucified here. They offer him wine mixed with myrrh, which is going to deaden the pain a little, because they intend for this to take a while. Crucifixion is designed to be a slow, torturous death. It's the opposite of lethal injection as far as mechanisms are concerned, in the sense that lethal injection is supposed to be humane. It still kills someone, but it's not supposed to inflict pain. This is supposed to inflict a lot of pain. And the mixed with the wine mixed with myrrh is to deaden it only so that it can last longer, so that you, you don't die of shock. They're starting crucifying him at 9 o'clock in the morning. They've got a little bit of a deadline because they've got the Sabbath coming, and they're going to try and get all the bodies down before 6 o'clock at night. When some people were crucified, they would hang literally for days. If you've seen the old movie Spartacus, at the end of the Spartacus slave revolt, which is a real revolt, 
which did happen. They crucified, I think it was a thousand slaves or over a thousand slaves who had risen up and taken arms against Rome. And they basically, you know, every hundred feet along between Rome and the next city, they put up a cross and they crucified someone. A cross was not a religious symbol at the time. It was just a symbol of execution. And it was a symbol of cruel execution. If you were a Roman citizen, you were exempted from crucifixion. You could have you could be executed but you'd just get your head chopped off with a sword because that would be more humane and you had deserved that because you were a Roman citizen. And so Jesus is up on the cross they've divided his clothes because you were crucified naked despite what you see in most depictions of Jesus. It is supposed to be humiliating, is supposed to be painful. And the way crucifixion works is typically your feet are nailed and your hands are nailed and you slump down because of loss of blood and because of the pain and you can't breathe. You will eventually suffocate because what you'll need to do to breathe is you'll need to push yourself up on that nail in your feet so that you can take a breath and then you'll slump back down again. All of the other Gospels that talk about the things that Jesus said from the cross, like, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do, are said while Jesus is standing on a nail in his foot. Mark, being the shortest of the Gospels, doesn't go into detail about what Jesus said, but that's the way crucifixion works. And the other Gospels talk about eventually they have a time limit And while he's on the cross, people are mocking him and they're saying, why doesn't he save himself? Well, we saw the reason for that two chapters ago, or two episodes ago, rather, when he was in Gethsemane. He basically prayed to the Father and said, if there's any other way, let's do that. But the answer was that this was the way. This was the way that he needed to save us. And so he endures this torture on the cross not because he couldn't save himself, but because he chose not to. That favorite story about the one thief on the cross who asked Jesus to save him, Mark doesn't relate. He says he's being insulted by even those who were crucified with him. The death of Jesus. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, meaning, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of them standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. I said he hung around the cross for eight hours because I was thinking of one of the other versions. Mark's version basically says six hours, nine to three, or just after three. But something very different happens for those last three hours, and that is that the place is in darkness. There's some eerie darkness that comes over the land. 
In the book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, I remember reading that there was some historical evidence that other people mentioned this darkness in non-biblical accounts. Um, You can check that book out of your local library or your church library if you're looking for that information. But then Jesus cries out and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is a strange thing for Jesus to be saying, stranger still on the cross, but Jesus has taken on all of the sins of the world as he hangs there on the cross. And sin and the righteousness of God are incompatible. And so God has basically turned his back on Jesus at this time, as Jesus has all the sin on him. And Jesus may be feeling that sense of aloneness for the first time ever, having been part of the Godhead, having been one with the Father, having had this community even before the creation of the world. He is also, of course, quoting from Psalm 22. Uh, David writes prophetically about this moment in Psalm 22, and you can read that. And people think, well, maybe he's calling Elijah, but he's not. He's calling out to the Father, and they go to get some of that wine vinegar that's going to quench his thirst, And then Jesus, with a loud cry, breathes his last and dies. And our understanding is that this is a real physical death. His heart stopped. He couldn't breathe. He died of suffocation, probably, as most people do in crucifixion. With the other thieves, we learn in the other Gospels, they break their legs so they'll die faster because they can't push themselves up on that nail in their feet to breathe. Mark doesn't focus on that so much as what happens when he dies. And he says the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, which seems like an odd detail to mention. Suddenly Mark has an interest in interior decorating? No. We need to remember where that curtain is. In the temple, the curtain is between the holiest of holies and the inner sanctuary. And it is the place where the high priest will go, but only once a year on the Day of Atonement, bringing the blood of the sacrifice and covered with the blood to prevent him from dying, from going into the holiest of holies place. Because to see God as a sinful person is to court death. And it is the blood of the sacrifice that imperfectly protected the people of God from that death in the Old Testament. And now it is the blood of Jesus that opens that to us, that perfect sacrifice That sacrifice of the one who has not sinned yet takes our sin upon himself, and that curtain is no longer needed because that barrier between us and God, that sin put up, crucifixion of Jesus has torn down. That's why Mark mentions it. And he says this centurion who's standing in front of Jesus said, surely this was the Son of God. In some versions, a Son of God, but basically even the centurion who's there recognizes the special nature of Jesus at this moment. And then it talks about some women who are watching from a distance. Uh, Mary Magdalene, who is a rich woman, she is not a loose woman as she is often portrayed. The Bible certainly has nothing about that. She's a woman who Jesus delivered from seven demons, and she was a rich woman who helped provide the means for the ministry. Mary, the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph and Salome. And these women are watching the death of Jesus, who they have followed now for a couple years. 
the burial of Jesus. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So this is the end of the story, or at least it seems like the end of the story. Jesus has died. Pilate surprised that it was so quick. Again, it was supposed to take a while. Pilate, I'm sure, knew that they would try and get the bodies off the cross before the Sabbath, because that was considered very rude to have people hanging there dying during the Sabbath. But he was still expecting it to take a couple more hours. And Joseph of Arimathea comes, prominent member of the council, the council of the Sanhedrin, the ones who just sent Jesus to his death, or brought him to Pilate to do that. Joseph being a dissenting voice in that, apparently. That's why it says he boldly comes because the disciples are running away. The disciples are in hiding, and they will be in hiding here for a while. And Joseph, who is waiting for the kingdom of God, is he a believer? Is he thinking about becoming a believer? He's someone who has this bold moment of faith here where he claims the body and prepares it for burial, not prepares it for resurrection, right? He's preparing it to be buried, because when you die— That's what happens. You die and you get buried. And the women are watching, not so they can mark the spot so they can be there on Easter morning and see him rise from the dead. They're marking the spot because after the Sabbath, they're going to bring some spices and anoint the body because that's what you do. They wouldn't do it on the Sabbath because they're not allowed to do work. But as far as they know, as far as Joseph knows, as far as Pilate knows, as far as the Sanhedrin knows, as far as these women know, as far as up the apostles know, as far as the rest of the disciples know, this story of Jesus is over. Except that it isn't. And we'll talk about that next week. With that, we'll end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com, or better yet, leave a comment and this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And thanks so much for listening. Feeling stressed? Let's take better care of you. I'm Bonnie Gray, the host of Breathe, the Stress Less Podcast. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.